Morning, Whitefields. It's good to be with you again. I uh, I don't want to be sentimental or anything, but I I missed you guys. <laughs> so, you know, uh, for the last two weeks, uh, I was away in Hungary with some other members of the church. We we had a mission team that was in Hungary, and. Um, we were there, we were serving and ministering with the church out there, actually the church that uh, Rosemary and I started when we were in Hungary. And, um, you know, last Sunday it was actually, it's kind of cool, I got the pleasure of being guest speaker at the church which I used to pastor, the church that I planted there in Eger. So that was really good. It was really good to see how God's working in that ministry over there, and uh, it was really good to get to be a part of what God's doing again. So we had a really fruitful trip. We want to say thank you to all of you who supported us to go. Uh, We want you to know that the Lord really worked and he used our team. And um, we're going to have some of the members of the team coming up in just a minute and talk about what we did over there and, uh, and what the Lord taught them through this. How, you know, that's the thing. When you serve the Lord, you always get blessed and you grow as a result of pouring out yourself. You know, you, you pour out and then God's able to fill you up because you're an empty vessel. And that's such a key thing. It's so important part of our Christian life is to not only take in but to pour out so that God can fill us up. That's how we grow. So we're going to talk about what the Lord uh, spoke to these people and taught them through the trip. Um, but before that, I would like to ask uh, Angie and Pete Nelson to come up. And uh, today is actually Angie's last Sunday here in Longmont before she leaves for Australia. So we want to give them a chance to say a few words on that occasion. So. I'm first. In case you don't know us, my name's Pete, and this is my beautiful wife, Angie. Angie. Hello, good morning. I thought I was going last after everybody, and now I'm first. Okay. Is it? Okay. Okay. Um, Well, good morning. It's really great to see all of you, and this is my last Sunday at Whitefields, and I'm going to get all choked up now. That's not in the plan. But um, what a blessing for Pete and I to be here six years and to see God bring all of you here and to see him build a body, you know, part of his family here in Longmont. It's just been um, beautiful to see you guys and to know you. And God is leading us on a continued grand adventure. And Pete and I, we have had many adventures. I can tell you we have... We've probably moved like, what, 15 times or something, I don't even know. But, you know, we have started in Albuquerque, moved to um, San Diego. He was in the cry, toured the world. Then we moved to Vail and helped with the church plant there. Then we moved to Denver. Then we went back to Albuquerque. Then we ended up in Longmont, and God did this, and the story continues. So I can just tell you, and I'm just going to tell you a little bit about what you don't know of what's been happening behind the scenes for the last three years of God stirring us. And um, we've, we've known, and I don't know if you know that about us, but we're church planners, we're visionaries, and we don't tend to stay in one place very long. And God put us together. We both traveled a lot as kids, and I think God prepared us for this journey. But three years ago, Pete and I had gone to England and Scotland, and he was speaking at pastor's conferences there, and I got to go with him this time. And um, when we were in Edinburgh, God started stirring my heart, and I was just praying over the city and just 
praying for revival again. They have a history of revival. And when we got on the plane to come home, the Lord spoke to me, and it was one of those times where it's almost audible, and you just know that God's spoken. And it was so clear that I actually argued with him. And so um, that's when you know. So he said to me, you're going to be leaving America. And Pete and I, on all of our travels, our main ministry, our missionary field has been America. And this is the first time that God's call specifically said, you're leaving America. And I literally talked back to him on the plane, and I said, God, have you seen my garage? It's really weird. People were looking at us. Yes. So. No. <laughs> this was in my head. But I said, God, have you seen my garage? Now, that's a really funny question to ask, but we have moved so many times, and I literally, we just didn't have time to deal with the boxes. And we just dumped everything, and we have three-car garage, and all three garages were completely filled. We could not walk through them. So, to me, that's a perfect question to ask. God, are you kidding? Have you seen my garage? I mean, we had to carve out a path to get to the fridge in the garage. We had a second fridge because we have a big family. We had to, like, carve out this little path. We could not walk through the three-car garage because of all the moves. So, we get home. I walk in the door, and Randall and Laura Dick, and I call them. I'm like, can you be at church today? I'm talking about you. Um, they're in Breckenridge. But, so, they had been kids sitting for us as our kids were at home and it was just Pete and I on this journey and we walk in the door and Randall had spent the time cleaning out our garage. I walked in and the entire garage was clean and Laura vacuumed it. (laughs) I am not kidding you and I just said okay God I get it you know and so same week after I so clearly heard God speak, my good friend Lori Steer, who's not here, I'm like, Lori, you need to be here. All the people I'm talking about. So anyway, um, same week after I just know that God's speaking, Lori Steer comes over and she says, I was just at a book conference and I know your favorite author's Anne Graham and so I got you a signed copy of her new book, Magnificent Obsession. I start this book it starts in Genesis 12:1, which says, Abraham, leave your country and your family and go to a land that I will show you and I will bless you and I will make your name great. And I was just, can God be any clearer? You know, I mean, the whole first chapter, this is an awesome book about pursuing God, the magnificent obsession, about following him wherever he leads, to hear his voice, to know him better. And the first chapter says, leave everything behind. And it was about how Abraham had to leave his family, his culture, everything he'd grown up in, everything he'd known, you know, everything we're used to doing, the way we do things in America, for him, er, he had to leave all of that behind and go to a land that God would show him. And this is, you know, and, and the, these were the first two signs, and there were so many, and I don't have time to tell you all of them. But about nine months later, God's, and Pete, you know, he's like, well, I'm not hearing anything, you know, and I'm getting all these, these things. And about, and about nine months later. So when she shared with me what God had said, I said, you didn't hear from the Lord. That was just, you really liked Edinburgh and whatever, you know. It, it's an emotional moment. And so... And she said, you'll know God's going to speak to you. And she said, let me know when God speaks to you. I said, yeah, whatever. So I said, we're in Longmont. God's doing a cool work here. 
Well, about nine months later, God spoke to me and said, I want you to leave everything and go to a land and just started speaking to me. And uh, so my first que- then my first question was, okay, if this is you, God, you've, you've made me a shepherd over this flock in Longmont. So if you're calling me somewhere else, who's going to be the pastor of the church in Longmont? And immediately he said, Nick Cady. And I go, wow. And so I didn't call Nick right away. I just prayed for him, uh, he and Rosemary, for about three months, three or four months. I just prayed for them almost every day. God, just speak to, just if this is you. So I call Nick up out of the blue, and I go, hey, Nick, how's it going, you know, over there in Hungary? How's the goulash tasting these days? And, uh, and he goes, you know what? The Lord's been speaking to me about coming back to Colorado. And I, Rose is really ticked off because God's speaking to me about coming back to Colorado. And she's saying, that's not God. I don't know. That's just... And, um, and I said, and so he goes, would you pray about it? Is, is there, I just love the vision of white fields. And so would you pray about a position? Is there a position open on staff? Maybe there's an opening. Maybe I can come and join you in the ministry and we could plant some more churches and all that. And I said, well, funny you ask. <laughs> I want you to pray about something, Nick. And that was two years ago. So this isn't like a flash in the pan. Nick and I, Rosemary, Nick and Rosemary, Angie and I, and the elders for about the last year, I I told the elders about a year and a half ago what God was doing. And we've just been seeking the Lord. And and now here we are. And you have a wonderful pastor and uh, a wonderful family here serving. We couldn't be more pleased at what God has done and what God is going to continue to do through this body and through its leadership. And so we are just, it's the greatest joy in the world. And I am a church planter. (laughs) Um, There are people here that I'm glad you stayed. And some of you took me out to lunch and said, so you're a church planter, aren't you? I said, yeah. So when you leaving? I said, I don't know. You know, I just follow God, you know, whatever he has for me. Because we don't like going to churches with church planters as pastors. Because they always end up leaving. So we're, but you can see how the Lord expands his kingdom, right? That's my passion, evangelism and church planting. So uh, we'll see what God has in the future for that. But that's just to tell you, it's, it's, part of the, it's part of the story. And I think it's important for all of you to know that. And uh, we're not just wandering around, just bumping into things. You know, God speaks to our hearts and we respond by faith, even though it means giving up everything. It's like last night, I spent much of the night wandering. The Lezinskis are kind enough to allow us to stay in their lower section here while because our house is uh, closing, hopefully, on Monday. We're unpacking. And, and so the power went out last night, and, and their basement is pitch black. It's like when they take you into Carlsbad Caverns, right? And then they turn off the light, and you can't see anything. It's really eerie. That was their basement last night, and I had to go to the bathroom. So I got lost in their basement uh, for about 15, 20 minutes. I'm like the blind man, like holding onto the wall, bumping into chairs, and so just glad I'm all in one piece. So this isn't like that. This is just us responding to God and, um, 
and, and just wanted to give you that story. And so pray for us. Angie's leaving on Tuesday because she's going to the University of Sydney to start her master's degree. And then um, uh, Seth and I are going to be joining her a little bit uh, later, maybe next month. And I just have to get some things dialed in and here in Colorado, and I'll be going to Israel for a couple weeks. But um, And you still have a Nelson remaining with you, Isaac Nelson. So treat him well, even though that's hard to do. Just, yeah, anyway, that's all we got to say. Pray for us, and uh, we love you guys. We love you so much, and we think of you often, and we would just love for you to continue to go before us in your prayers, because prayer changes things. Amen? Okay. Why don't you join me in praying for the Nelsons? Heavenly Father, just lift up the Nelson family to you. Lord, I thank you for what you did through them and, uh, and through their obedience in coming to Longmont, Lord, through their obedience and following you step by step. And Lord, we pray that you bless them as they leave this place, as they go on to the next place that you're showing them. Lord, we ask for provision for them. Lord, we ask that you would lead them and guide them. Lord, take care of them. And Lord, bless them. And let them be a blessing wherever they go. In Jesus' name, for your glory. Amen. 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 That's hard to follow, but uh, I'd like to uh, also, so I'm going to have David and Alicia come up too, and uh, Seth and Isaac, you guys are here? There you go. Why don't you guys come up too? So uh, this is our mission team, including myself, who went to uh, Hungary. And I'll just let them say a few words about what we did there and, uh, and what the Lord showed them. So we'll just go in line here. Okay. Um, where to start? It was so fun going to Hungary. I didn't know what, I w- what to expect. I, before, I mean, I've heard of Hungary, but I've never heard anything about it. So um, it was much better than expected for me. I, and, and it's an English camp, and so we were planning to, or we did teach English there. And I had never taught anything in my life, so I was pretty nervous about it. But it actually went really well. Um, there's some really awesome leaders out there, part of Next Church, who uh, have a curriculum out there and prepared for each one of us. And so some of us were um, teachers, and so we got to teach the kids English. And um, it was such an awesome experience. And we got to, through teaching English, really, it was more of like a small group, not really a classroom, but a small group. You know, I had nine kids. And um, by doing that, you know, we got to really get to know the kids personally. And um, they're a little shy at first, but they really open up to you. And um, it was so much fun getting to know them and just being able to talk about America with them. And because it's more, my class was more of conversation style um, since they're, they're pretty, they're older. So they kind of knew a lot of English already. And um, so that was really fun. And in the mornings, we had devotions before we, we taught the kids. So that was really awesome because all the leaders as a group came together. And we just read the word and did worship and soaked for 30 minutes and, and just really got to pray for these kids and, and just get a heart and a vision for these kids so that when we go and teach them English, you know, we have the Lord's heart for them in us already. And they're not, they're not, Christian. Some of them aren't Christians. It's, it's a, 
English camp run by Nick's church and, and some Christian leaders. So they it, they, it wasn't Christian English camp. It was just an English camp run by us, by the church. And so um, it was really cool because they all knew that we were Christians and we even even some of the some of the leaders got to share their testimonies with the kids at a time called testimony time and so it was just really sweet to be able to share our hearts and what we've been through and just to let them know um, that we're like them and that we've been through stuff and so that was really awesome and you know we got to play sports and Nick I mean Isaac led some soccer tournaments because they love football (laughs) and uh so that was really awesome to watch and see how the boys get into that. And we had some relay races, or they're called Razor Days, which is this gentleman out there. Um, and we just nicknamed him Razor. And they're just relays, like, they had to put, like, a real fish in their mouth and, like, run it back and forth to each other. And Nick, even Nick spit crickets into a bucket from his mouth, live crickets. <laughs> You know, and so there's just hundreds of kids, like, freaking out and so much fun. And if you guys have the chance to go next year, it's definitely worth it. And it's so awesome and so fun. And um, it's just a blast. You have to come. So thanks for supporting us. And I know some of you came to the Benefit concert to help support me and David and the rest of the team to go. And we just really appreciate it. And we hope to go next year as well. So thank you. And uh, I had a similar experience. Uh, I got to teach, <laughs> got to teach an English class, also with nine students. And um, because it was offered in public schools and anywhere that students could, you know, find out about it, uh, they came, and their parents allowed them to come, knowing that it was run by a church because they knew the professionality, you know, how well run it is, and how students really respond well each year. And we, you know, we have these story, life story or testimony times each day that at our cert, they're at a certain time and we tell the kids, hey, we're going to be doing this, but it's optional, you know, and you could just come if you want to hear some of the life stories of the teachers. And so we had a lot of students coming to those times and we would do some worship songs and then really share the gospel straight up, you know, through the stories of people's lives, I mean, and just continue to share, and then Nick would follow up a story with, like, a response or, you know, some way for the students to really receive the Lord if they desired to, and so it was was awesome, because the parents know that we do that, but they know it's optional, so they're like, all right, if my kid wants to go, cool, but it's really a neat setup, because then after the camp, there's, you know, follow up up with the students through Facebook and email and also we invite them to the church on that Sunday that's like the day after the camp ends um, and a number of the students come with their families and or did come when when we were there and uh, again get to hear the gospel preached and it's neat because we heard a lot of stories from students that were like on staff this time that had been coming to the camp for years and then eventually just gave their lives to the Lord either directly through the camp or just you know through their whoever, you know, but hearing the gospel through years and communicating with these believers in their country, a lot of people have given their lives to the Lord and really come back to serve the next generation of kids. It's really awesome. And so I was inspired, and like Nick was saying, 
even we we go and we give, but we receive maybe more than we give oftentimes. And I, I really received a, a like a renewed perspective on servant evangelism, I guess you could call it, of uh, just finding the need and like some need in your community and just trying to meet that, you know, to serve people. Because a lot of the students that came, there was like 120 students. We didn't have 120 coming to the to the testimony time or to the church, you know, maybe like a small percentage, but we were just there to serve all of them, you know, and, and hope to have the chance to share with some of them, you know, like Paul t- talks about where he said, I become all things to all people in order that I might save some, just as many as possible. And I feel like that's what we were doing there. And I'd love to just dream with you guys, you know, come in here, coming back. I was really excited to come home actually from this trip it was beautiful out there. I loved it. But just, I was so inspired. Like, we have white fields at home. How can we do these kind of things, you know, with our own body? And so I'd love to just continue to dream with you guys and together and, um, you know, and just see what the Lord gives us to reach Longmont. I'm sure that there's things that we could do just to serve this community and see people come to know Jesus through it. Um, continue to do that. I know we are. So that's, yeah. That's it. Hey guys, most of you most of you know that uh, I went last year too, so this was my second year, and um, this year was awesome. It topped last year for me. Um, one thing that I think is so great about the camp is that it's not a Christian English camp. So you have all these kids that never hear the gospel, are and if they maybe they hear it, maybe they get invited to a church by a friend, they're put down. Like their parents don't want them to go to church; they'd rather have them drinking or something than go to church. So. To be in this environment where they're hanging out with Americans who they look up to, and the Americans are going and listening to worship songs and worshiping God and praying, and they they come year after year because they have fun, they learn English, but then a question kind of comes into their head like, why are they doing this? And this year, um, this testimony time, this year we called it Life Stories, um, it was just like, it was amazing for me just seeing last year it was great too but we just had it it seemed like it doubled in size for me and just the atmosphere and people are worshiping and by the end of the week that we have devotions in the morning before breakfast and i mean that's a pain to get up for you're exhausted you're staying up late it's before breakfast but you have kids coming like sacrificing their sleep to come in there and hear more because they're not getting enough during the testimony time so that was just cool for me to to see those kids coming and it it really is a fruitful camp and you see some of the fruit here Yudit's here from um, now she lives in London but she got saved through the English camp and you can just see how great this ministry is so I'm happy that I got to go this year for a second time and hopefully next year I can go a third time because each year it just it just builds, and it's, it's awesome to see these same kids year after year, and their hearts start to change, and they start to ask you questions about that stuff, and it's, it's really awesome. So, thank you. 
role. So rather than viewing our lives as this great story in which God has one part among many, we, we, when we read the Bible as the story that it is, that it was designed to be, what we see is that our lives are actually part of God's story, God's grand saga, this drama that is being played out on the stage of human history. And that story, God's story, is told to us here in this book that we call the Bible. It's the story of how God is seeking and saving and redeeming all that has been lost and corrupted by sin. And that story starts in Genesis, and it's continued throughout the Old Testament. It builds up to this great climax, which is the cross of Calvary. And then it reaches its ultimate conclusion in Revelation. And we, this is the awesome thing, we are living in that story. Even today, we live somewhere between the book of Acts and the book of Revelation. And what that means for us practically is this. That no matter where we open up this book, no matter what page you turn to, no matter what chapter you're reading, no matter what story you happen to be studying, the same, it is the same story. It is all part of that one big story of the gospel, the story of redemption, the story of the mission of God to seek and save all that's been lost and corrupted by sin. So our focus as we've been studying through Genesis is this, to see how the stories of Genesis reveal the gospel to us, how they lay the foundation for this grand narrative of the gospel story, how they reveal to us the heart and nature of God. So today we're going to be looking at a man named Abram. Later on, his name is going to get changed to Abraham. If you grew up going to Sunday school, you probably know him as Father Abraham, who had many sons, and I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord, right hand, left hand. You know the rest. So uh, Abraham, he's kind of a big deal, right? This, is, this guy's a pretty, he's a pretty major guy. Jews, Christians, Muslims, they all trace their origin back to Abraham. He's a big deal. His name appears more than 300 times in the Bible. He's mentioned a lot in the New Testament. Jesus talks about him frequently. Paul the Apostle mentions him as the man who believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. He is the prototype for what it means to be connected to God by faith, to walk with God by faith. Uh, in, the, in Hebrews 11, when it talks about the, the great heroes of faith, most people mention there they get one verse. Moses gets six. Abraham gets twelve. Until now, we've been flying through human history for the first 11 chapters of Genesis, but now it's going to slow down. And from verse 12, or chapter 12 to chapter 25, it's all about Abraham. He's a big deal. Here in chapter 12, uh, it's the beginning of a new section in the story of Genesis. The first 11 chapters are what we call primeval history. Primeval history is focused on origins, the first things. It's the underlying story of the world. It's the story of creation. It's the story of sin, the story of the flood, the story of the, the origin of cities and cultures and nations. And that's, uh, that's why primeval history, the first 11 chapters of Genesis, it covers a lot of ground really fast. Uh, chapter 5, as we talked about before, it covers 1,600 years of human history, which is almost as much as the rest of the Bible combined. But from chapter 12 until the end of, of the book in chapter 50, we're looking at what we call patriarchal history. The story now zooms in, the story slows down, and, uh, and is going to focus on this man Abraham, on his family, and on his descendants. 
Up until now, we've seen many generations, many genealogies. For the rest of the book, we're going to be looking at a total of four generations. The story slowing down. It's focusing in. And, and the story doesn't actually focus on all of Abraham's descendants. It focuses on a specific line of descendants. Because eventually from these descendants, God is going to bring the Messiah, the Savior of the world. We know him as Jesus the Christ. And, and everything is building up to him. This, you know, this is the one whom God promised in Genesis chapter 3, when sin entered the world, when corruption and and death entered the world, God promised that he was going to take care of it. He said he's going to send a man, a special man, who would be uniquely born of a woman, and this man would crush the head of Satan. He would defeat the curse of sin and death. See, do you get the picture? This is one grand story building up to Jesus Christ, even here in Genesis, even as we look at Abraham. Today we're going to be talking about the Abrahamic covenant and we're going to be looking at our message is titled Blessed to be a Blessing. Let's go ahead and read verses 1 through 3 of Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and who, him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I said this is called the Abrahamic covenant. This is the promise that God made to Abram. And he's essentially saying, Abram, if you are willing to close your eyes and take my hand and walk with me by faith, then I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to do all these things for you. All you got to do, just close your eyes Take my hand and stay in step with me. The first promise that God makes Abraham, he says, I will make you a great nation. Now, Abram is the man through whom God is going to create a new nation, a new people. Rather than choosing randomly or arbitrarily one of the existing nations and saying, I'm just going to bless you guys, God actually pulls somebody out and says, I'm going to start with you. And I'm going to create a whole new nation. And what God is going to do, he's going to shape this nation. He's going to create their culture. He's going to define their culture. And, and he's going to define their laws. He's going to define how they worship. And that's why Abraham's, Abraham's important. Because what we're going to see is that he's a man who is willing to obey God by faith. And that is what God is looking for. He is looking for that to be the hallmark of this new nation that he is creating. The reason God's creating a nation is this, because he has a purpose for it in the big picture of his plan, of his mission for the redemption of the world. God's purpose with this nation will be, will be threefold, you could say. Number one, his purpose through this nation is to reveal himself through them, to reveal himself to them and then through them to the whole world. You know, all of the customs and the laws that come later on in the Old Testament, all the forms of worship that God designs for Israel, they are all very masterfully and very importantly designed in, in such a way as to be a foreshadowing of the gospel, a foreshadowing, each of them, of the nature of God and the work of Jesus Christ. Secondly, his purpose with this nation is to preserve his word through them. God used this nation to preserve his word through the generations so that even today we can grow and benefit from it. 
And thirdly, his purpose, as I mentioned before, is to bring the Messiah to the world through this nation. Abraham is a patriarch. He is a man through whom God is going to bring about something new. He's going to set the tone for generations to come. And, and he's a man through whom, essentially, God changes the course of human history. But if you think about Abram, what you have to see is that he is very much, he is an unlikely hero. Uh, I mean, really, let's take a look at his credentials for a second. He's not, he's not all that amazing. He's not all that, you know, awesome. You know, if you, you looked at chapter 11 last week, but if you have your Bible with you, just, you know, glance over at the previous page and look at Abraham's credentials. First of all, what we see about Abraham is that he comes from a dysfunctional family, right? Maybe you're like, hey, I come from a dysfunctional family. Well, you're in good company. So, first of all, Abraham comes from a dysfunctional family. They're a bunch of pagans. They don't, they don't have good theology. They don't read their Bibles at home. They're a bunch of idol-worshiping pagans who live in a pagan city where nobody loves God and everybody just, you know, worships idols. His father, his name is Terah. He's a pagan. Abraham himself is a pagan. He doesn't have his theology dialed in at all. He comes from this pagan city. People worship, ah, sorry, people worship idols. They worship possessions instead of worshiping the true and living God. We also see that he has a nephew named Lot. Now, if you've read on in the Bible, you know that Lot, is, uh, he gets into a lot of trouble. He's kind of a redneck, kind of a hillbilly. And for some reason, in the New Testament, God says that he describes him as righteous Lot. Now, I haven't put the pieces together on how that all works out, but that's got to be the grace and mercy of God. Because as you look at Lot in the next coming chapters, you can see this guy's a redneck. He's always getting into trouble. And Abraham, he's, like he's like the redneck cousin that, you know, you always got to bail out. You know, because he's getting in trouble. Not only that, again, going on with the dysfunctional family, Abram's wife, his name is Sarai. You know what Sarai means? It means princess. Okay, you got to know that if her name is princess, this is a, a very high-maintenance lady, okay? Like, if you ever, you know, you see somebody with a, you know, lady with a shirt that says princess, you know, you know, that's, that's what you're looking at. So, not only was she high maintenance, but apparently we read that she's barren. She is past childbearing age. Uh, at the time that God speaks to him, Abram is 50 years old. And by the time Abram actually obeys God, he's 75 years old. Okay? That's not really promising. That's not somebody you'd look at and be like, hey, here's a good candidate for somebody who God is going to use to change the world. These aren't good credentials, you know, for someone through whom God's going to bring about a new nation and set a new tone for the rest of human history. But this is how God is. This is the kind of God he is. He reaches into the mess that is Abram's life, and he takes hold of him, and he says, if you walk with me, I'm going to bless you. If you will obey what I speak to you, then I'm going to bless you and use you in ways that you cannot even imagine. You know what else is interesting here? All the things that God promises to give Abram in this, in this promise here, these are the very things which the people who built the Tower of Babel were seeking in their own strength. Now think about this. Last week, you guys studied the, the story of the Tower of Babel. And do you remember what they said when they said, hey, let's build this tower? Here's what they said. They said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. They were seeking three things. 
They're seeking prominence or greatness. They're seeking identity. And they're seeking security. But the problem is they were trying to attain all those things in their own strength, by their own accomplishment, completely apart from God. And God would not let those plans succeed. And now along here comes this guy named Abram. He's not all that impressive. He's a pagan guy with a dysfunctional family. And God says to him, hey, if you will walk with me, then just purely out of my grace, not because you deserve it, but just purely out of my grace, I will give you what all those people are seeking so hard to get in their own strength. I will give you prominence. I will give you an identity. And I will give you security. The very things which those people are trying to attain in their own strength, apart from me, to no avail. I will give them to you because ultimately, these things, greatness, identity, and security, they can only be found in me. And that is the irony of these two stories in chapter 11 and chapter 12. And, and, and just as many people are today, you know, they seek greatness, they seek identity, they seek security, but they seek it apart from the one place where those things can truly be found. That, you know, people seek them to no avail until they're willing to rest from their labors and find true greatness and true identity and true security in the Lord as Abram did. That was the promise of God to Abram, the promise of God to you and I as well in the gospel. So God changed human history through this man. But think about this. What did Abram do that was all that amazing? All he really did was this. He just obeyed God when God spoke to him. That's it. He just obeyed God. And and if you look at the story more closely, what you find is that he didn't even do that very well most of the time. That's like his one thing that he did that makes him great. But he didn't even do that all that well most of the time. And that, that should be encouraging for you and I. I hope it is. Think about this. If you do the math, what you find is that, you know, if you've got to look at the math of uh, Abram's father, Terah, and the years that he lived and the times when they moved from one place to another. But if you put it all together, here's what you get. Um, 25 years passed from the time that God spoke to Abram first and said, leave your country and your family and go to the land of Canaan. 25 years passed between the the time that God spoke to Abram and told him what to do and the time that Abram actually obeyed and did it. 25 years. That's a really long time, right? You know, as we go through this story, we're also going to see that Abram had some major lapses in his walk of faith and obedience. There were multiple times when instead of trusting God and following God by faith, Abram says, I got to take the wheel. I'm taking things into my own hands. And as a result, he created a big mess. So what I'm saying is this. God changed the world through this man. But it wasn't because he was a superhero. It was only because of this. Because God had a plan. And he invited Abraham to join him in it. And to be part of it. And Abram did that by obeying what God spoke to him and obeying one step at a time. And you know, we only get a few, few glimpses into Abraham's life and his walk of faith. But, but you got to understand that this is a long period of time. And what that tells us is that this walk of faith, most of the time it wasn't spectacular. It was rarely glorious. Nobody knew who this guy was. His name was Abraham, father of a multitude. And he didn't have any kids. 
That's harsh, right? That's hard to deal with. That's hard when you introduce yourself to people. Hey, you know, God sent me here. He's going to make me a great nation. Oh, yeah, where's all your descendants? Well, I don't have any. Well, where's your wife? She's over there. Well, she's like 90 years old, man. I think you need to just, just say, okay, maybe you didn't hear from God, and just move on. You know, accept it. So what I'm saying is, most of the time for this guy— It wasn't glorious. It wasn't spectacular. It was rarely exciting. In fact, what we gather from the story is that a lot of Abraham's walk of faith in obedience to God, it was racked with difficulties and frustrations and struggles, and I would even say boredom. Abraham, I mean, there was one time he's waiting for like 20 years for his wife to get pregnant. I mean, he's just, he's kind of bored. That's like the next step that needs to happen. And he's just waiting, you know? Abraham, he's in the middle of it. He's marching his family for days on end through the desert, or he's sitting in his tent in the middle of the desert with nothing to eat because there's a famine. He probably didn't feel like God is changing the world through him at that moment. And let me tell you this, though. God has invited you to join him and be part of his plan, to be part of his mission in this world. That's why everything we talked about until now, it all ties together with our text. That's how God is. He's, he's glorious and he ties all things together because he's perfectly wise. God has invited you to join him and be part of his plan, be part of his mission, be part of this big picture, this grand narrative of what he's doing. He's changing the world. God is changing the world, and he's redeeming the world, one person at a time, and you and I have the privilege that we can be a part of that. Even if you come from a dysfunctional family, even if you don't have perfect theology yet, even if you're not quite as young as you used to be, even if you have a tendency to blow it sometimes, you can join God in what he's doing. You just hand him your mess. That's all you do. You say, here, God, take it. It's, it's my mess, but I give it to you. I'll give you this mess of my life, and I'll say it's yours. Take it and use it as you please, for your purposes, for your will. And then when God speaks to you, do what he says, right? That's, that's the whole key to Abraham. That's what Abraham did. That's what made him so special. You know, I think we miss the point of this story if all we see in it is that Abraham left his home. Uh, This is not primarily about Abram leaving its home. It's primarily about Abram being willing to obey God when God speaks to him. For all of us, you know, obeying what God speaks to us, that's going to look different in each of our situations, in each of the places where you're at in your life. But maybe you say, you know, well, how do I know if God's speaking to me? Well, let's start with his word, and then you move forward from there. Every time you open this up, God is going to speak to you. Start with doing what he says to you right in here. And then go from there. If he wants to speak something concrete to your life specifically, he can do that. And Jesus told us that, he said, I'm the good shepherd and, the sh- and my sheep know my voice. So I would encourage you to get to know the voice of the shepherd by studying his word, hearing his word, and you will be able to recognize his voice when he speaks to your heart and into your life specifically. The next promise that God makes to Abram is he says, I will bless you and I will make you a blessing. And he says at the end, he says, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. You know, there's an idea nestled in these words that is foundational, that's fundamental for how we think about God's blessings in our lives, how we think about our possessions, and how we think about our lifestyles. 
Because what God is telling Abraham here is this. He says, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. I will bless you because I, I want to bless all the people of the earth. And that's the reason I'm going to bless you. My, my purpose in blessing you is not just so you will be a blessed person. My purpose in blessing you is so that you can be a conduit through whom I can accomplish what I want to accomplish in this world and how I want to bless others. And I believe this is absolutely true for all of us who are believers, that God blesses us not just so we will be blessed, but so that he can bless people through us. And in whatever way I am blessed, in whatever way you are blessed, it's important that we see those blessings through this lens. That if I'm blessed, it is so I can be a blessing. So I can be part of what God wants to do. You know, we are, we are blessed, for example, with the knowledge of God. But that's not only for our sakes, not just so that we would know him, but we were blessed with that knowledge of God so that we can be a blessing to others. If, if we are blessed materially or financially, it's not just so we can enjoy abundance, but it is so we can be a conduit through whom God can accomplish his purposes. If our church is blessed, God has blessed us so that we would be a blessing. Not just so we would have an awesome church, but so that we would be a blessing to our community, to the world, so that God could accomplish his eternal purposes and bless people through this place. So, so many times, you know, we, we can have this human tendency, especially fueled by the society that we live in, to have this hoarding mentality and just hold on to the things we have and, you know, protect the things we have so that nobody takes them so that we can and then we want to get some more you know and uh, and we can easily become so focused on ourselves and this even seeps into Christianity you know a lot of books that you see on the shelf in Christian bookstores and a lot of focus is is put on it just kind of feeds into this natural human desire we have of being self-centered you know um, people can become so easily concerned even in Christianity primarily with how does God want to bless me? What does God want to do for me? And the ultimate goal of their relationship with God can become that they will be blessed, that they will enjoy abundance and peace and prosperity and favor and the presence of God. And of course, none of those things are bad. Those are all good things, actually, in and of themselves. But it becomes dysfunctional becomes sick when we cannot see beyond those things, when we cannot see beyond ourselves, our circumstances, and our lives, when we can't see the big picture, the greater plan of what God is doing in the world, what he is accomplishing in history, when we don't see the ultimate desires of God. Because God's plans and desires, they're much bigger than me. They're much bigger than him simply blessing me. God's looking beyond my circumstances and situations. And what that means is that God's blessings in my life and in your life, whether relationships or, or material blessings or possessions or whatever, they're all a means to an end and not the end in themselves. We need to see the blessings of God in our lives as means to his end and not the end in themselves. In other words, God wants us to be conduits and not reservoirs. Conduits and not reservoirs. We are blessed so that we can be a blessing. That's a fundamental, foundational understanding that we must have. And again, notice God tells Abraham, he says, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make you a blessing, and in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Do you see this? 
Do you see this? This is the missionary heart of God. In everything he's doing with Abraham, his ultimate goal is that all people, all nations, all families of the earth would be blessed. And that ultimate blessing that's being referred to here that will come through Abraham is the blessing of redemption and salvation from the curse of sin, the curse of death, which is going to come through the Messiah, Jesus Christ. This is the blessing that will be available for all people who, like Abraham, are willing to trust God by faith and take his hand and walk with him. You know, do you, do you see this picture that God blessed Abraham so that he could bless others through him, so he could accomplish his mission through him? And do you know that God wants to do the exact same thing through you as well? God wants to bless you, but not just so you can be a blessed person but so you can be a conduit, a blessing to other people whom God wants to reach with his grace, with his love, so that you can carry out his mission in the world. You know, God is on a mission. That is the story of the Bible. That is what the biblical narrative shows us. God is on a mission to seek and save and redeem every person, everything that's been lost and corrupted by sin. So when you get right down to it, and I know it's kind of splitting hairs, but as Christians— it's kind of improper to say that we do missions because really there's only one mission and that's God's mission. And we don't do missions. We join God in the mission that he's already doing. You know, and and oftentimes when we talk about missions, we need to change the way that we think about it, I think. Because, you know, especially in the West in the past 200 years, um, the way that missions is talked about is as something which takes place somewhere else. Some faraway country, they're probably poorer than us. There's a, there's a phenomenon that I observed being in Hungary as well. And that is that every nation uh, views their, their mission field, the Christians in every nation often view their mission field as being some place that they kind of look down on, right? So the Hungarians, you know, they would, they would view their mission field as like Romania, you know? <laughs> yeah, we're going to go to Romania and do some missions, We're going to go to Ukraine, you know, or like, you know. And the Romanians are like, well, we're going to go to like Moldova or like Albania. And the people in Albania are like, well, we're going to go to like Africa. You know what I mean? I don't know where the people in Africa go on missions. Maybe maybe Papua New Guinea or I'm not sure. But you know what I'm saying? Everybody views that missions is something that happens in a place that's far away, that's not here. And it happens with people who are, you know, not as sophisticated and well-off as we are. But we have to change that mentality. We absolutely have to change that mentality. You know, that traditional thinking about missions and the mission field as some faraway land. If you consider this, that the story of the Bible tells us that there is one mission, God's mission, that is to seek and save all people. Well, what does that mean? That means that there's only one mission field. And that's the whole earth. Remember that Bible verse that God so loved the world, the whole world, that he sent his only son. That's God's mission field. That's where his mission takes place. If the whole earth is really God's mission field, then what that means is this, that all of us who are, who are on board, who have taken hold of God's hand and are walking with him, we are on mission with God. We are on a mission field. A friend of mine pastors a church in California, and they have a sign at the exit to their parking lot that says, you are now entering the mission field. And that's so right. I love that so much because it's, that's the exact biblical mentality. When Rosemary and I left Hungary, 
after serving the Lord there for 10 years, you know. Rosemary said sometimes, people would ask us, how do you feel about leaving the mission field? Rosemary would say, I'm not sure how I feel about leaving the mission field. I said, I always told them over and over, we're not leaving the mission field at all. We're not leaving the mission field. We're just going somewhere else to continue in that same mission with God. The same thing that he's doing all over the earth. The earth is his mission field. It's the same mission everywhere we go. And and what matters is not where we're at geographically. What matters is this heart that we see in Abraham that wants to be part of what God is doing. That's willing to obey when God speaks. That this heart that wants to join him and get on board with what he is accomplishing in this world. In this city here and all over the world. God is on a mission and he's inviting us to join him and be involved in what he's doing in the world. And he's calling us to a different way of living. I hope you see that when you read the Bible, when you read the words of Jesus. He's calling us to a different way of living. That's why God took his nation and he separated them. God also wants to give us a different way of living than, the, than what's the norm in the place that we live. A way of living that's not focused on ourselves and, and what's good for us only. A way of living that's focused on the big picture of God's kingdom, God's mission, what he desires to do in redeeming this world and reaching every single person with his love and salvation. So, whatever ways you are blessed, understand this. You are blessed to be a blessing. God's on a mission. Whatever, mission, whatever blessings he gives you, they're not the end in themselves. They are a means to an end. They are a means to a greater end. And that end is that all nations of the earth would be blessed with the ultimate blessing of redemption and salvation and eternal life in Jesus Christ. And we have the awesome opportunity to join God in his mission by being conduits of his blessing rather than reservoirs of blessing. And what that means for all of us is this, that no matter who you are, no matter what stage of life you are in, no matter your life circumstances, you can join God in his mission, in what he's doing. Just get on board with him. So I encourage you today in this. Seek the Lord and ask him to show you how he has blessed you and how you can use those blessings to join him in his mission. Amen? Let's stand and pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came to this world. Lord, we thank you that you humbled yourself and you emptied yourself, Lord, because we were part of your mission. And Lord, we want to now join you in your mission. Lord, I pray for anybody who's here today who has not yet received the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray that you would just impress them, give them a great conviction of the need and the importance of doing that. Lord, I pray that they would make that decision even today. Without, before, before they leave this place. And Lord, I pray for all of us who have come to know you, who have experienced your grace. Lord, thank you for the story of Abraham, that we look at him and we can see ourselves in him. He wasn't a perfect person. He wasn't a superhero. But Lord, you used him in spite of who he was. Lord, you, you blessed him with everything that people in this world sought for themselves in their own strength. Lord, you blessed it with them purely out of your grace. And we give you glory for that. We thank you that you've done the same thing in our lives. And Lord, we pray that you would show us how we can 
use the blessings that you've blessed us with to be a blessing to others for your eternal purposes, for your mission in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.